What's up, everybody? It's been way too long. I'm excited to welcome you back to the Secret Sauce Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Swing. My apologies for the delay on a new episode. It's been a crazy several weeks here at Wild Spark since our team was with you all. And next, but good news, today's episode is worth the wait. David Peck is a friend of mine and an incredible owner-operator out of Palm Desert, California. He's gone from failing out of college his freshman year to owning a multi-million dollar business. And I can't wait to unpack the wisdom he's gained from this redemptive journey. I've got a question for you, Secret Sauce Nation. Are you making emotional or willful decisions? And what I mean by that is are you making decisions based on how you feel in the moment or have you made a preconceived decision on how you will act and react towards others? David's going to unpack the willful commitment that he's made to togetherness, share his team's six daily values and enlighten us all on pickle juice shots. You heard me right, pickle juice shots. Don't knock it till you try it. Let's dive in. David, so excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you. It is uh, my pleasure to join you. And uh, again, excited to to just chat Chick-fil-A with you today. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I can't wait to unpack some of the, some of the stuff that we have on the agenda today to talk about. This is a really cool and unique episode. David, I haven't done a ton of these, obviously about 10 episodes so far in the library but this is the first episode with an operator who hasn't grand opened their restaurant yet. So I think this will provide some really cool perspective to everybody out there and some fresh eyes on kind of a different stage in the process and approach to the episode and some of the questions today. So I know that you're excited. When's, when's the grand opening again? Remind everybody. Yeah. So like many restaurants these days, we've got some supply chain issues and it could be anywhere during the months of May or June, hopefully not into July, but the restaurant is uh, mostly built. Furniture goes in on Wednesday, our equipment goes in on Monday, and then uh, canopies are actually finishing today. And then we're waiting on something called a switch gear, which is our main electric panel. And you can imagine the uh, amount of electricity we need in Palm Desert to uh, fire up those massive air conditioners during the summer. But I'm super excited for uh, just the blessing of an opportunity to uh, really refresh and restore folks in the Coachella Valley with great food and genuine hospitality and really a care that I think is transformational and just a signature to Chick-fil-A. So super excited about it. Gosh, you're getting me fired up here. David already. Yeah. I don't think I want to endure a summer in a restaurant setting with, with no air conditioning. So that that'll be vital, especially in the desert area that yeah. you'll, uh, you'll be in. Well, man, I'm, I'm going to kick us off with our first question here for the podcast Perfect. today. And, uh, and I've got a scenario for you. Okay. Um, speaking of the desert, you're stranded on a, on a deserted Island, right? It's just you. You're there. There's no telling when you're going to be rescued. You get one Chick-fil-A sauce for the entire time that you are stranded on this island to put on to anything that you would eat. What Chick-fil-A sauce are you going with? Well, I mean, that's a no brainer. I got to go with the classic, right? I got to go with Chick-fil-A sauce. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, I love the sriracha. I love the the sweet and spicy, but I got to go with Chick-fil-A sauce. That's the best. 
it's the goat of sauces. Some would argue. I know my my kids will not eat a Chick Fil A meal without their Chick Fil A sauce. Um, it will cause a riot if it if for some reason I forget to ask for that. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, I don't I don't know if this is appropriate or not. But uh, yesterday I, uh, I I got a little late lunch, and we talked earlier about you know being intentional as you get into the restaurant, especially during opening of eating at regular times because it's easy to forget to eat or hydrate and then you either pass out or go hangry and neither of those are good, right? Hungry and angry. So it was late in the day and I hadn't had anything. So we were a little light on food. So I got some tuna fish, right? Canned tuna. But I had my bottle of Chick-fil-A sauce, right? The big bottles that you we can buy in the restaurant. And, and those actually support our educational opportunities through Chick-fil-A. And so I added some of that because I love mustard and the Chick-fil-A sauce has a little bit of mustard in it. And my wife gave me a funny look, but it was actually really good. So anyway, did a little uh, little tuna fish salad with a little Chick-fil-A sauce instead of the mustard. And it was fantastic. Wow. You're pioneering, David, yes. in more ways than one here. I don't know that, I don't know that Chick-fil-A sauce has ever made its way on to tuna salad, but, uh, but it has now. Now, That's- just rest assured, anybody else listening, we will never serve that in the restaurant. That doesn't align <laughs> with our menu choices, but at home, you know, I can do that, right? It's uh, it's great proof that Chick-fil-A sauce is good on everything. I think that's un- undeniable at this point. I know this is unique in nature as you're thinking about your future team and your vision for that team and how you will add the most value to that team and and what is your unique secret sauce for the way that that you will lead your team there in Palm Desert? That's a great question. I'm going to take us back to the beginning of my marriage. And uh, both my wife and I came from divorce backgrounds, different, difficult backgrounds, loved our parents, but they were not examples of what a good marriage was. And so, you know, like most newlywed couples, we struggled over some things. And the biggest thing we struggled over was just the difference in understanding finances. And so, you know, we tried the Ron Blue, we tried a number of different methods, right? We tried the, it, it was all the Dave Ramseys of back when we got married, right? Yeah. Uh, we finally landed on baby food jars and we would put cash in baby food jars. And then at the end of the month, we could, you know, look at the baby food jars and use it for whatever was left, right? Well, we never had anything left. <laughs> but what I learned in the process was that the principle was not the driver, that my care and love for my wife was the driver. And so we came to this principle or this motto, and the motto is win together, lose together, but always be together. So I say that because as that starts with my family, as I got into work and I got into leadership, I quickly realized that, gosh, work is no different than family. In fact, it's like a second family. I can spend an equal amount of time with these folks at work as I do at home. And so if I begin to blend the way that I care for people that's similar to my family, we create levels of trust, we fail fast, and we have this mindset that we're going to win together. And then when we lose, we're going to lose together. We're going to learn from it. And then we're going to move forward together. That became a big driver for my family, but then also my leadership style. And that's a critical component as we move forward in the restaurant. I just believe that it, it believing in people, trusting people, and having a mindset that we're on the same team is such an important piece. You know, I often say that chicks, it's a team sport. There's way too many moving pieces. It's too fast paced to not be 
on a team together. You're going to fail. You're going to get backward. You're going to get upside down. You're going to get red screened. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to drop the oil. All those things are going to happen. So if you have a mindset and everybody has the mindset, win together, lose together, but move forward together, I think it creates a fantastic foundation for a culture of care and creating success. Yeah, I could not agree more. I think creating that team environment, that family mentality makes it bigger than yourself which is right. really where our work gets purposeful. It, it's so easy to isolate. I think, especially in the losses, I think it's it's easy to self-isolate. It's easy to cast blame. And so I, I love that vision to win together, lose together, but to do it all together, even specifically in the losses and the hard times. And certainly it's fun to get to celebrate together as a team and all those things. But I think a lot of times where we need it most is in those times where, like you said, we failed, we've fallen short, but it's not any individual's Fault, it's a collective effort, right? We're we're in right. this together and it makes it so much easier to get back up, carry on when that's the case. So I love the togetherness. Even your, I would say, integration of what you learned from marriage and family to work. And I would agree with you. We spend actually a majority of our hours at work with these people that we get the opportunity to work with. So so why not give them our best, just like we do our our family. Right. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm a member of the married way up club. We've been married 30 plus years. Married way up. I'm in that club too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I think I'm the president, right? But there's a realization even 30 years in that, that there are differences between us. If I'm committed to that relationship with my wife or with a director or with a team member, then the trust allows us to work through differences. And often as I've kind of gotten older, I realized that, hey, I got a bias. I got a perspective. And my perspective is my perspective, but it's not the only perspective. And somebody else's perspective actually may be better than mine. And so I think that was also something that I learned over the years to realize that, hey, you're part of a team. And teams work best when everybody contributes from their perspective. So again, win together, lose together, but always be together. Got a couple more. So eat the frog. You ever heard that one? I have not. You're going you're okay, to have to so, uh, expand that, expand on yeah, that. So, uh, so a buddy of mine, uh, Brian Clay, he, uh, he won the Olympic gold in Beijing in the decathlon, and then he won the silver in 2004 in uh, Athens, Greece in the decathlon. He used, to, he used to use the phrase, eat the frog. And it, it's a Mark Twain quote. And basically, it's do the hardest things first. If you're going to eat a frog, eat it first thing in the morning. If you're going to eat two frogs, eat the biggest one first. And so the principle is do the hard things first while you have energy, while you have focus, while you have intentionality. And so often in our family and then in work, we've talked about, hey, eat the frog, right? What's the most difficult thing in the restaurant? Well, it's not actually making the food. It's actually taking out the dang trash and being disciplined, right? If you take out the trash and you take care of it, then you're focused on food safety. And if you're focused on food safety, you're building a foundation and a platform for creating great quality food. So eat the frog and do the hardest things first. Yeah, it's got a domino effect to it. I think, like you said, it triggers some other dominoes to fall later in the day that wouldn't otherwise, right? It could be a bottleneck if you don't do it. And 
you know, nothing worthwhile is easy, right? Everything that's worthwhile is uphill. It's going to be a battle. So as much as we can embrace, to your point, the hard things, the more set up for success that we are going to be. And so I love right. that mentality. Sorry, hit us with the third one. Yeah. So, uh, so do it once, do it well, do it right. And really the biggest principle on that is, uh, it actually comes from my wife. She was at, uh, so we, uh, we were recently married, moved to California. We had two kids, 15 months apart. I think they were two and one and life's crazy, right? I'm heading off to work and she's trying to manage the chaos. And a friend of hers invites her to, uh, kind of a church event where they talk about managing priorities. And so this principle, and and again, I married way up, she's brilliant. This principle of touch it once or do it once kind of emerged. So why is that important? Well, when it moves to chaos and, and you've done the diligence of touching things once and finishing it well and setting up whoever comes next for success, you're providing a platform. And, mm-hmm. and in so many ways, that's the foundation when we talk about business terms of a lean system, right? You're helping set the next person or the next process up for success. So what does that mean in a house? That means when you're done with your dishes, don't just leave them on the counter, right? Go ahead and put them in the dishwasher. For a long time, I was a red hot mess. I'd get home, I'd take my clothes off and I'd leave them on the, the kind of the dresser. And over a week and a half, they'd pile up and then she'd harass me. And I'm like, leave me alone. And she'd harass me again. After 30 years, I've learned, hey, if I take it off, I can put it in the hamper and then it gets washed. You get out of bed in the morning, make your bed, right? So that you've accomplished something already in the morning. So that idea of touching it once or touch once tied to doing it once, doing it right and doing it well. Yeah. To me, that's a, it's a lifestyle choice, right? It's more of a mentality than anything else. And like you said, I think it bleeds over into every area of your life. I think if you're doing those things personally, right, you're making the bed, you're putting your clothes where they're supposed to go. And I'm guilty of that too. I think all, all men have typically a spot in the bedroom that just accumulates clothes sometimes. And so I think we can all learn a lesson through that, but it bleeds over right to the restaurant and doing everything with excellence, which is really, really important if we want to be successful as leaders, this is so good. Having these three things, I think is uh, all that we would need to cover on the podcast today. We've got more questions, but I feel like I could have stopped it right here and everybody could have got a ton of value from this, David. I I appreciate you sharing. Our listeners probably didn't realize that they were going to get a little bit of a marriage conference wrapped in (laughs) today too. I mean, even what you said earlier to the commitment that you make, you know, to your spouse. And I know with my relationship with my wife, right? Divorce isn't an option. Like we've committed to each other. This is a, this is a lifelong pact that we've made. And I think if we approach our relationships in the workplace like that, that there's going to be higher levels of, of trust that we're going to take a a deeper interest in really seeking where people are coming from, trying to understand it from other perspectives so that we can make that relationship as, as dynamic as possible, right? It's not firing immediately isn't an option, right? We're going to, we're going to do our best to work through things. So yeah. I mean, would you fire your wife? I would not, I would not ever. Right. She may, she may try to fire me sometimes, but (laughs) it's interesting you say that because I'm not, you know, uh, I was reading a book. uh, I Isaac take the Rebecca. It's a great marriage book. Uh, I know Ravi Zacharias recently passed away and he was an apologetic and, and he had, you know, he like all of us, right. Had some issues in life that he was dealing with. 
But as a Indian, someone from India, he had a great story tied to his brother about emotional love versus willful love. And, and, and someone, you know, you can read the book to figure out what the story is. But the bottom line is he harasses his brother about choosing to move into a prearranged marriage. And he says, you know, what if she's ugly? What if, what if she has bad breath? And he starts saying all these things. And, and his brother says to Ravi, stop. I, I have already willfully chosen to love this person and to honor this person more than any other person on earth. Mm. Ooh, what a powerful statement, right? We often choose the beginning of a relationship in any relationship based on emotion and connection. But at some point, that has to move toward a willful relationship. And so, yeah, I, I have an emotional love for my wife, but I also have a willful love for my wife that I am commanded by God to honor and obey her at a very high level. In fact, higher than any other person. So as that translates to the restaurant, it translates to my directors and my leadership team and the way that I treat people. You know, my responsibility isn't always about hiring well. It's easy to talk about hiring well. It's the responsibility that once you hire somebody, you doing your absolute best to help them become their best. And I think that's a willful choice that we as employers, and especially Chick-fil-A, looking to become the most caring company in the world, we have to move toward that piece. How am I going to willfully care for my team in a way that helps them to be their best? Yeah. And I love that. It's a decision you make before you even meet that potential Absolutely. new team member. It's a, a willful decision, a, a willful love, if you will. So man, that is, that's powerful. It's a powerful word right there. I know that you're passionate right. about education. You spent many years inside of higher education prior to be select, being selected as a owner operator there in California. So walk me through a little bit of your story and your journey, because I think yeah. it, it has a lot of value in it and just the perspective that it allows you to bring now to Chick-fil-A with the unique background that you have. So tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks, Josh. So I grew up in a place called Boulder, Colorado, right? Four square miles surrounded by reality. And it was a fantastic place to grow up. Um, as I said, divorced parents both loved me and they were actually very kind at my dad's 60th birthday. I was able to talk about how he even honored my mom amidst them being divorced. And that was super cool. Never said anything negative in front of me. But having said that, you know, if I wanted something, I had to go out and earn it. And so immediately grew up with this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. So fast forward into college, I ended up at the University of Colorado. I wanted to be a rocket scientist, right? I wanted to go uh, fly and do stuff on the moon. And that was fantastic to me. And I failed out my first semester. I got a 0 .04, 0.04, not a 4.0. I got a D minus and four Fs, 18 units, one D minus. And that was the positive grade. I guess what I realized in the midst of that was that I had some learning challenges and, uh, and I didn't read correctly. I read in circles. So failing out of college, what do you do? Well, you got to figure out what you're going to do. And so I went on a bit of a journey. I ended up working construction I ended up working in restaurants. I lived in Boulder. I worked in Denver. I moved to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, worked in a restaurant. It was a journey of trying to figure out who I was, what I was passionate about, and what God was doing in my life. Heading toward the end of that, I, I had moved back in with my grandparents in South Carolina, 
And my grandmother's asking me, I'm working as a DJ at night and I'm doing construction during the day. I know crazy stuff. I'm trying to get back to college because I realized at this point, there are a lot of smart people who have degrees who are working in construction, restaurants, doing all sorts of things, and they love it. And I hated it. And maybe education would give me the ability to choose what I wanted as compared to just choosing whatever was available for me, right? So grandma says, called her mama, hey, what are you reading? I said, ah, mom, I hate reading. I read in circles. Educated. She's, she's 84, 85 years old. She says, David, that's terrible. She grabs a book. She's not alive now, but I still think my grandmother was unbelievable. She grabs Louis L'Amour, Last of the Breed. That was like big time stuff back in the day, right? This is, this yeah. is you know, 80s, 90s. And she says, all right, here's what I want you to do. Here's the book. You're going to take a ruler and you're just going to roll it down the page. And I want your eyes to follow the page. So two things right away. She gave me a technique. And number two, she gave me a fantastic book. So within a week, I get home from DJing at two o'clock at night. And I'm so excited about this book that I'm reading until three, four, five in the morning. I'll get an hour of sleep and then I'll go do the construction thing. She eventually took the book from me during the weekday and only gave it to me on the weekends. But that was the first book. So I get through that one and I said, all right, mama, what's next? So I got this author that I like. His name is Rob, Robert Ludlum. Oh my gosh, the Born Identity, right? I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. right now it's a movie series and the whole deal. And, and yeah. you know, so read through that book. And, uh, and, and so that was the foundation for me relearning how to read. I ended up going back to Azusa Pacific. I switched my major to marketing. And with those disciplines of knowing how to read and the realization that every opportunity comes with a requirement of hard work, I was able to graduate. I worked in the movie business for a number of years, went to Colorado with the movie business, and then ended up back at Azusa Pacific and thought that I'd be there for the rest of my career. I got a master's degree in business and then uh, proceeded to get a master's degree in psychology and a PhD in media psychology. And I, I say those things not from a bragging standpoint, but I think with hard work, anything is attainable and achievable. And again, the biggest piece for me was transformational. It was my, it was my grandmother helping me relearn how to read so that then I understood a different piece. What I didn't realize until later on, and I was doing work in my PhD, which they give you way too much material to read, was that was the foundation of learning how to speed read. And so I learned how to speed read, and that was a system that worked well with my brain. So I say that because I think education is a big play and everybody has access to it. Everybody's coming from a different platform, but I am a huge proponent of both education and then also reading. There's a, a phrase that comes to mind, leaders are readers. I believe that you have to be an aggressive learner and be growth-minded to be an effective leader. And I love that you learned that from your mama. She sounds like a dynamic, what we would call multiplying leader. She Absolutely. took those, those leadership skills, passed them on to you. And then now you've had the opportunity and the platform to be able to pass it on to others, yes. which is so, so cool to hear. And I love even the practicality of here's why you need to read, David. Here's, you know, here's what you need to read even. And then here's how exactly you need to do it. And the levels at which she walked you through that process, I think are a great illustration for how we're called to lead in right. whatever situation that we're in, right? You got to tell them why you got to give them a path to go down and, and you got to show them how to, that's uh that's really cool to hear. I love that you told that story and unpack that a little bit. 
What are some of the books you're reading lately, David? I've got to ask over the yeah. past you know, year or so, what are some of the top ones? So uh, probably the top four, top five. I just finished Donald Miller's Hero on a Mission. It's fantastic. It takes a lot of a lot of principles, a lot of a lot. Stephen Covey's idea of begin with the end in mind. And, you know, uh, Miller says, look, your your time is limited. So what are you going to do with that? And how are you going to fulfill your ultimate purposes? He really goes deep into a, a psychologist, Victor, Victor Frankl. Um, and, mm-hmm. and Frankl comes out of uh, Auschwitz and literally survives amidst everybody dying and really begins to journal what his experience was like and, and why people lived and why people died. And so he anchors on some of Frankl's thoughts on that. So Hero on a Mission has been fantastic. I think he, uh, he does a really nice job of beginning with the end but then giving practical steps and then demonstrating kind of how he's doing it. I love Patrick Lencioni. Lencioni, Lencioni. Um, he's fantastic. Tomato, tomato. Uh, tomato, tomato, exactly. He writes little fables. I just finished The Motive, which challenges leaders to own their responsibility as leaders. I think one of the things in this last season of two, three, four years that we've all recognized is that it's easy for leaders to lose their voice and abdicate their ultimate responsibility or to give it away. So that was a great challenge. Lencioni's advantage really kind of gets into the details of of how you do that, how you practice that. And then uh, Jeff Henderson wrote a book four a number of years ago, and uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. And I love his perspective of, of looking at a different frame, that if I am for my team, then my team is going to be for the business. Mm. But if I am for the business, then my team is always going to be questioning whether I'm for them or not. So just putting a right philosophy and mindset on how you support and encourage everybody and anybody, right? Mm. If I am for my kids and realize that the end game with my kids is that I want them to grow up and be great adults, that means that during that high school season and that college season, there's going to be a little bit of chaos. And I got to be okay with that as a parent. I can't control that. I got to let that go because often we're going to be having conversations on the back end saying, so what happened? What would you do differently? And how do we how do we move forward? As compared to me controlling the narrative of which that does nobody any good. I'm angry. They're angry. And nobody wins. So again, I love that book, Four, by Jeff Henderson. Yeah. Those are some great recommendations there. I think there's a common theme even woven throughout, even going back to Donald Miller's book. I know one of the primary findings from the studies from Auschwitz were the survivors, one of the uniting factors of them where they were doing something beyond themselves for the ones that were just focused on their own personal survival Almost none of them made it, but the ones that were focused on helping others survive found purpose in that, that helped fight through the adversity and carry on through those hard times to, to eventually survive themselves. I love the idea of learning with and from each other. And I know that you're, you're passionate about that as well. And even to the extent of what you've learned recently, as you've taken that, you've embodied a sponge, right? You're trying to soak up everything and learn as much as you can about what works really well so that so that you can provide the best place to work there in Palm Desert with your team that's uh, getting ready to launch. 
I mean, that's a big thing behind this podcast or the main purpose of it is to provide a channel for people to learn and grow with and from each other. And so share with me and and don't, don't be afraid to shout them out. Some of the people that you've impacted you, what you've learned from them, give credit where credit's due, but I'd love to hear some of those things that you're like, here's, here's specifically what I'm going to do because this person invested in me. Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, I'll begin with the most recent and that's Eric Mason. He's my operator coach. We met back after fundamentals and, uh, you know, my two biggest takeaways, well, I have a lot of takeaways with Eric, but uh, my, my, my two biggest takeaways with Eric are he really changed my mindset on what it means to hire a team focused on being hospitality professionals and providing a living wage. And so that was the first one. Second one was, you know, in our walks and talks and, and, and discussions, he kept talking about a developmental mindset. And, uh, and I love that. I love having a developmental mindset. You know, when we look at Carol Dweck's work, developmental versus fixed mindset, it's fantastic. Uh, we're always looking for people who are interested in learning to learn and continuing to learn. And in fact, you could argue the whole goal of education is to teach somebody how to learn. It's not what they learn, it's to teach them how to learn so that they then become learners in and of themselves. So he introduced me to you all, WildSpark. And, uh, you know, Josh, you and I got to spend some time together looking at the platform. And as a faculty member who develops curriculum, looks at the best practices, again, every time we've talked, just can't be more excited about the fact that we're going to be launching this with our leaders in April. And the restaurant hasn't even opened, right? Because it's my ultimate desire to invest in my team at every level And I want our restaurant to be known for developing leaders. So Eric's fantastic. And uh, he's just continued to speak truth into my life. He's one of those guys that will be a friend for life. I couldn't agree more. I love Eric. And he was on one of the previous episodes of the podcast. If you go back, you can find, you can find his episode, a dynamic leader. And he has made a very similar impact on my life where like instantly I'm like, we're best friends. And, and yeah. I feel similarly with, with my conversations with you, David, but even like beyond just the leadership stuff into life stuff that is just extremely valuable. So just a testament to his level of intentionality and how he's investing in lives, man, I love what you said. Like we're, we are going to be a house of development. This is going to be where people come to grow and owning that vision is going to be really cool to see here within the grand opening of the restaurant and all the lives that will be impacted as as a result of that vision. So, man, anybody else that you wanted to shout out? Yeah. So, uh, so we did a couple operator visits, probably the biggest mentor uh, from a Chick-fil-A standpoint in my life is Carlos Mayan. He owns uh, Azusa Glendora. He's how I was introduced to Chick-fil-A, but he and I, and uh, we did some operator visits in Phoenix. As soon as I had been chosen for uh, Palm Desert, I didn't know that that was what it was called. I just figured, hey, let's go to some places that are really hot because we're going to be really hot and see how they <laughs> do things so that then we can learn because we don't need to reinvent the wheel. So uh, so we met with a operator. Actually, he got COVID right before we met. So we didn't get to meet with him, which is even more amazing because we met with his team and I haven't even met him yet, but he's an amazing guy. His name is Jeff Miles. He's out of Deer Valley. And what he really has done with Mobile Express is phenomenal in limiting the amount of folks that are required to be out on Drive and IPOS and Expo, increasing customer satisfaction. And I think he's just short of 50% of his total business is mobile, which is fantastic. It's an incredible number. It is. It is. 
So he was amazing. Again, still haven't met him in person, but we've talked, we've chatted, and his leadership team clearly conveyed his passion and excitement for the business. And then a, a gentleman out of Goodyear, Arizona, Bruce Plosier. Amazing when we look at lean systems. He was probably the first restaurant that will have a, a similar kind of kitchen and front of house design as mine. It's, I think it's called a straight line. And I think in his refurbishment, they moved to a similar pattern, but oh my goodness. That was the most organized restaurant I've ever seen in my life from his equipment room and the way that you replace equipment to then the philosophy of you unpack trucks, you get all the boxes out, you get them unpacked, you get everything in its right place. That was amazing. So Bruce Plosier in Arizona. And then I had three folks that were super, super gracious and intentional investing in me. Probably from an operational standpoint, Danny Hernandez was unbelievable at West Covina. Just phenomenal. So I came alongside him and he invited me to be a part of his leadership team when we first opened or when he opened in 2020. And so I served part-time as a part of his leadership team. And then in 2021, went full-time and served with him for nine, 10 months. You know, during the midst of 2021, we got crushed quite a bit with team going out. And so, you know, I had to jump on position and jump online in the back of house. Man, that's where I learned a ton of stuff about, uh, about pushing, about failing fast, being in a team-oriented mindset. And that was fantastic. And so Danny's done an amazing job of uh, having operational excellence and building team. Carlos Mayan probably was the one that just started it off for me. Not only did I meet him in 2013 when he opened in in Azusa, we became fast friends, but Carlos and then Danny actually worked for Carlos. So Carlos has got a little bit of a legacy going here. Danny and Carlos hired all four of my kids. And so from the standpoint of impact, it's one thing to become a raving fan of a restaurant in the way that they do things, but it's a whole nother level when you get to see them hire your kids and how they treat your kids and how they empower your kids. And so that was fantastic as well. Um, And then the last person probably uh, gave me the first chance to really test this thing out after I had put forward an expression of of inquiry was Morris Lee in uh, in, Morris, in uh, Monterey Park. Gosh, I remember my first day on the job. He said, all right, we're going to make lemons. We're going to make lemonade. And so he literally sat me down at the lemon juicing thing, gave me boxes of lemons, and I was tragically slow. I think I might have gotten like a case an hour. I remember driving home. So, you know, LA has a number of freeways, right? And so I was driving home at about 10, 10 o'clock at night, And uh, I remember my hands were so, so tired that they cramped. So ended that shift. I don't remember nine, 10 o'clock. And uh, I had to drive home 60 freeway to the 605. And I remember taking the turn. It was like a a loop, right? On the 60 freeway onto the 605. And my hands were cramping so, so bad. I had to like clutch the steering wheel so that I stayed on the highway. I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning, show up at the restaurant at about five, actually at Starbucks, get a big cup of coffee before I jumped in it or shift at 5.15. It was a great lesson of hard work, but also an amazing team. And so his team was super gracious in teaching me all the steps and then really letting me come alongside him for about four months. So that was fantastic. I can almost feel the pain in your hands from juicing lemons for an entire day. There's probably very little work out there that is as tedious as that. And I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> yes. I, I bought one of those uh, hand uh, exercisers afterward, you know, the little V or the A thing. Oh yeah, I know. V. Yeah. The I'm grip like, strength. Yes, um, yes. I, I ended up getting, getting one of those so that I could, uh, you know, work on my strength a little bit. 
Yeah, I was going to say there's probably never a time in your life where your forearms were were so strong as that season of life right exactly. there. Well, thank, thanks for taking the time to share there. I, I never want to skimp over that. And I think that that's really important to mention and, and give credit to and encourage the ones who have helped us pave the way and who have helped us begin to maximize our impact that we're making. And yeah. so I, I love that you mentioned those, those that group of people. I think one thing's for sure is there's no shortage of dynamic leaders within Chick-fil-A. And that was part of my motivation for starting this podcast is I believe Chick-fil-A owner operators are some of the most brilliant minds in the world when it comes to pouring into others. And so I wanted to give an avenue to be able to share that. You have six daily values that line up with your vision that I wanted to close this out with on just what that practically looks like. And so if you don't mind, I'd love, I'd love for you to unpack those, those six uh, daily values really really briefly and and kind of why you selected those things. You know, one of the things that we recognized is that each day we have a choice with our attitude and uh, and what we do with that day and and really I would like this to be the best first job, next job or last job that anybody has. And so the best way we do that from a team standpoint is recognizing that there are some core principles that we can all move forward with. So we just came up with these really kind of from a a combination of conversations with folks, things that I've lived, things that Drina and I have lived, and that things that have been impactful in our life. And so number one, making a positive impact by choosing joy each day. And, you know, in order to choose joy, It requires that you are intentional. And I would actually also say that it requires that you have to occasionally look to God to say, hey, I don't have it today. I'm going to do my best, but but you you got to provide the rest. In our house in Glendora, uh, where we're moving from, we've got a sign on the inside of the door as you leave, and it says, choose joy. I was heading to work one day, and I was grumpy. I was late. And I remember looking up and seeing that, and I remember getting to the office, and I remember just kind of thinking, all right, I got to lead this staff meeting, and what am I going to do? And it hit me. In order for me to choose joy, I have to leave my house, and I have to look up, not just to see it as a reminder, but to look up to God and say, only through your strength and promise can I do this. And really, that comes also out of James 1, 2 through 4, right? Consider it pure joy whenever you whenever you face trials of many kinds, and that through the testing of your faith, you become pure, you become whole and complete, lacking nothing. And so number one is choose joy. I think if it's left up to ourselves, right, it doesn't make practical sense to be joyful when circumstances are against us. But right. when we have that source of joy that comes from God, it transcends circumstances, which is absolutely crazy to see. And then going back to even tying it into what you said earlier, it's a decision that we make. It's not a feeling that we have. It's a choice that we make when we're walking out of the door every day to choose joy, to be joyful and to be light to those around us. So sorry, keep going. You're absolutely correct. Next is uh, work together. And that comes from kind of the win together, lose together, but always be together. Realization that Chick-fil-A is a team sport, that it's hard work and that people need people. And so work together. Uh, Number three is really kind of something that's emerged with Chick-fil-A in the last few years. And it's to win the hearts of our guests. As we realize our core components of providing great food, genuine hospitality, fast and accurate service, and a clean and safe environment, and we look at the rubrics and the numbers around that, those are the four key components that help us to win the hearts of our guests. And when I think about the secret sauce per se, yeah, it is Chick-fil-A sauce of Chick-fil-A, 
I believe that how we provide genuine care and how we become the world's most caring company, how either through insight or the Holy Spirit, we take those five second, 10 second, 15 second interactions with guests to actually see them, to know them, and to help them be seen, not only guests, but team members. I think that's fantastic and huge. And so win the yeah. hearts of our guests. Yeah. And it's not win the business, which is what exists probably at most organizations. It's it's win the hearts. And I've I've felt that as a guest. So I can attest to that. Yeah. The next is similar to that, but internal. And that's see the best in each person. As a father, I have failed and succeeded at that. And where I've failed is when I move toward being super controlling and descriptive, deliberate, and maybe even mean-spirited with my kids. Mm -hmm. The same is true with my team. If I move toward being prescriptive, descriptive, and, and I direct their every action, then I'm not seeing the best in them. I'm not empowering. I'm not enabling. And I'm not allowing them to be the best version of themselves. Heaven knows we all make mistakes. We're all ding-dongs at some point. I don't (laughs) need somebody to point it out to me. What I need somebody to do is to come alongside and encourage me. Don't get me wrong. There's always opportunities for accountability. And there's always a requirement that we're paying attention to, you know, corrective action. But at the same time, goodness gracious, our heavenly father, right? The prodigal son, our heavenly father continues to pursue us even when we don't pursue him. And so again, see the best in each person. Number five, and you know, again, I I don't know if there's a favorite, but this could be my favorite. Have fun. We got to have fun. Oh my gosh, this is a busy restaurant. So one of the things we started doing in the kitchen in the midst of kind of a crazy crush, whether it was a $3,500 hour, a $4,000 hour, a $4,500 hour, is as soon as we cleared the screens, we'd celebrate the person on boards. We'd celebrate the person breading. We'd celebrate the person filleting. And we'd get everybody in the restaurant in the back of house and and we'd do pickle shots. Now, obviously these are non-alcoholic pickle shots, but- (laughs) We serve a lot of pickles in the restaurant. We got these big 20, 30 pound, five gallon buckets of pickles. Well, guess what they got with that that gets thrown away? It's pickle pickle. juice. So we would take a little one ounce cup that we usually serve our side pickles in. We would, with gloves on, dip it into the pickle deal. And if you don't know this, pickle juice has electrolytes and salt, which are great recovery drinks. And so we would all take pickle shots which also helped us from the standpoint of continuing to sustain. And so just an example, but uh, have fun on yeah. drive. I love telling jokes. I love Truett's. My, my favorite Truett, right, is, uh, is having a cow and walking up to kids. And I say kids, teenagers are actually the most fun because they're kind of know-it-all angsty. And so I'll, I'll come up to a couple teenagers and say, hey, I, I got a couple Chick-fil-A cows here but you got to answer a question. Which one of the two of you is smarter? So, you know, we'll get the smarter one. All right. What does a cow say? Well, we just did this in Lorraine, Ohio, and nine out of 10 said, moo. So then yeah. I have to quiz them on it. Right. And, and we get to the place where they finally would say, eat more chicken. So, so that's fun. And then we would tell practical, we would tell jokes, stupid dad jokes in drive. So uh, Josh, do you know what the fastest animal on earth is? I do not. Cheetah, maybe. Well, that, that would be the right answer, but no, it's, it's a chicken running from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so bad, right? It's so bad. 
dad jokes are my favorite though. Yeah. Uh, and then we'd, uh, we'd also have the, uh, what does a chicken call a pile of lettuce? I don't know. Chicken sees a salad. Chicken sees a salad. Get people. So if bad. You get any, so if bad. you don't get anything else from the podcast today, you've got a couple of great dad jokes to, uh, to throw out there next time you're at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. So, you know, why, why were those important? People are sitting in line. So anything to take them off of the distraction of sitting in line, being angsty, standing on their phone and just creating engagement moments, right? Even if they only laugh at me and I laugh at myself, guess what? They're mirroring my behavior from a psychological standpoint. And the fact that I'm smiling and I'm positive and I'm being goofy often, right? Without us even realizing it, then allows somebody to mirror that. And so again, just having fun. And then the last one is invest in yourself. You know, at the end of the day, you're ultimately responsible for yourself. And so, you know, for us to have a value that, uh, yeah, we're going to do everything we can, but you know, this is a busy place. And so you have to help own uh, and have agency on you moving toward investing in yourself. And investing in yourself means that you're on time or early. Investing in yourself means that you come hydrated, you come eaten, you come with your gear ready to go, that you're looking to uh, what's next in your life. And you're also asking for help. And I think that that's something that in the last two years, we've forgotten a little bit that uh, it's okay to ask for help. And so invest in yourself. I love that. We, We want you to bring your best self every single day. And so do what you need to do for that to happen. This has been incredibly impactful, David. And I'm going to wrap us up here because we've ran out of time. I feel like we could, we could extend this for another two hours probably and just keep the value rolling. But, uh, but maybe, maybe we'll have to have you back for a second episode to do some of that. Yeah. Bring me back in six months and we'll see if, uh, you know, all these things are still true, right? No, I'm just kidding. They will. Yeah. Well, man, I got to come out there and visit sometime and and take a a pickle juice shot with, with the team. Thanks a ton for coming on today, David, and for sharing, sharing some value with all of our listeners. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Josh. And again, Mikasa Sukasa, we would love to treat you to, uh, you know, the best of Chick-fil-A and we will absolutely bring you in the back of the house and do some pickle shots. So <laughs> awesome. Bye David. All right. Thanks. I want to make sure nobody missed any of those six values. David just shared, choose joy, work together, win the hearts of guests, be our biggest fans, have fun, and invest in each other. So much power in those words and the actions they lead to. An easy action step that each of us can take from this conversation is to right now, make that commitment that we are going to fight for the relationships and the people who have been entrusted to us, even the ones we haven't yet met. As we wrap up, I wanna take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this leadership community. If you've been impacted in any way by today's episode, A big way that you can continue to help out is to share this with others. Until next time, stay saucy, everyone.